Hey, it's Karen Hunter from the Karen Hunter Show on Sirius XM Urban View. Here's a highlight from today's show. And uh, she has her own ministry, and it's healing the mind. It's healing the mind and the soul because they work together. Uh, let me welcome psychiatrists, uh, amazing human being as well. Dr. Nicole Washington is back. Hi. Hello, hello. Hi, it's been a while. It's been a while. It's good to see it you. You look, you look great. Thank you. Um, you were sh- sharing that you, you know, you yourself as a doctor, sometimes I, I feel like doctors don't take care of themselves, you know, cause they're, you're always at, at service, you know, you're always service servicing other people. How do you take care of yourself? Yeah. I, for me, first of all, sleep is paramount. I am, I am not one of those people that can go on four or five hours. I'm a, I'm an eight, eight and a half hour a night kind of person yes. and I, I need it. So when I don't get it, nothing, nothing goes well. So for me, sleep is one of my number one things. Uh, but I started a, I started a practice of like personal mindfulness early in 2020 before the pandemic kicked off all of that stuff. And I just can't even tell you how that has probably saved me over the last three years. And what does that look like? For me, that looks like daily meditation. Um, that looks like finding ways to find peace when everything around me is chaotic and hectic, which it often is. Um, I shared with you before, I'd taken over caregiver duties for my, for my father when he was ill and ultimately he passed away. But just throughout that whole thing, if I didn't have that, that foundation of just being able to center myself and come back to what's important and, and finding that spot, I, I don't know that I could have made it. Mm loss um and it's it's difficult we were we start off the show talking about the beautiful souls that lost their lives in nashville tennessee mm-hmm. at the hands of a, a domestic mm-hmm. terrorist and a, a murderer you, you you know we're we're all you know going to experience loss nobody gets through this life without it um and yet and yet there seems to be to me a disconnect to the preciousness of life itself right like there's mm-hmm. um there's a callousness around the beauty of life. Mm-hmm. Um, walk us through dealing with that first personally, yeah. and then what advice can you give to people? You know, the funny thing is I will tell people the relationship I had with my dad was very complicated. So I think it made it a little bit different. Uh, I think you have different ways that you grieve a loss when the relationship was fantastic and you're a daddy's girl and you're close with your family and close with your parents, that wasn't really my story. Uh, so it, it made it a very, very complicated situation. I had to do a lot of forgiveness work. I had to really, really forgive. Cause I think I, for years I was saying like, Oh no, I forgave. It was fine. Like it was good. It was all good. And then when I was put in a position where he needed some help. And I, and I knew in my, like in my spirit, I was being told like, you need to step up. I, and I know it was a God thing, right? Because I wouldn't have chosen that because I was still holding on to all this ugly stuff. So I knew it was a God thing. Cause I was like, okay, I got to do this. So I step in and step up and I realized maybe I hadn't forgiven as much as I thought I had over, over those years. So that took a lot of work uh, and complicated loss. So just, you know, if you find yourself in a situation where you lose somebody and the relationship wasn't that great or was complicated, that's a whole different level of work. I mean, sometimes you, what you are grieving is the fact that there is no, there is no longer the hope that that relationship could change because that relationship is done. Like there, there's no hope that maybe he'll turn it around or maybe we'll be able to figure it out. It just doesn't happen. It's over. 
Dr. Nicole, um, so many people talk about the idea of closure mm-hmm. um, after losing a loved one or, or experiencing trauma. And when you have you know, unresolved issues with your parent or anyone that you might mm-hmm. lose and, and don't get a chance uh, to work those things out together, how does one go about coming to a place of resolution or closure, if that's even a thing, when the person is no longer on earth to process yeah. with you those unresolved issues. Yeah. For me personally, the closure was with me. It wasn't with him. So I needed to work that out. My, my pastor all the time says, you know, uh, uh, oh, when you when you don't, unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to get sick, right? Like right. that. that's the, the thing. It's the... Mm-hmm. I, it was me. It was all me. Like I just had to work it out with me, and I, and I had to take some time to reflect on his life and some of the reasons why our relationship was complicated. And mm. so it was helpful for me to kind of think through, like, okay, well, he dealt with this, and this was going on, and maybe this. Um, and ultimately, I mean, my dad lives his life on level ten, right? Ten. Like he would rather go all in than to ever pump the brakes. So he was not somebody who was gonna make sure he took his meds or washed his diet or, cause he was a level 10 kind of guy. I wear my, don't wear a helmet when I ride a motorcycle. Like I'm all in, mm-hmm. like I'm all about the risk. You know, he's just all in. Um, and not very many people get to live their life on their own terms, hundred percent, right? Like not a lot of people get to do that. So I can respect that, but it's hard to be on the other side of that. Like it's hard to be the kid who's watching your parent kind of self-destruct knowing that you have to be the one to take care of them um, when it's all said and done. So yeah. it there was a lot of, I just needed the closure within me and then to learn from that. So for me personally, you know, since that time I've lost 30 pounds um, because I realized, you know what? I don't, I don't want to do this to my kids. I, I, I don't, I don't want, wow. if, if I end up 70 years old, 65, and I have a stroke or a heart attack and it just happens, nothing I can do about that. But I don't want it to be because I didn't do my part mm-hmm. to take care of myself. And I don't want to leave that burden on my children. Cause I saw what this did to me and my siblings and how we've all kind of dealt with it in our own ways, some productive, some not productive. Mm-hmm. It's just been tough. So what was the first step? I'm sorry, Debbie, because when, when she said 30 pounds, I, I, I knew you looked different. Um, I didn't know whether it was the hair pulled back or whatever. I was like, you look great. I said that. I wasn't, because I usually don't say nothing, you know, but you look great. What was the first thing that you changed? I changed a setting insurmountable goals for myself because I was definitely one of those, like, I want to lose 50 pounds. And I'll be on 60 is my goal. I'm halfway there. But I would say, I want to lose 60. And if I got on a scale, you know, two weeks later and I was up a pound, I'm like, oh, well, I might as well eat whatever I want to. I might as well just give it up. Um, so I, I, I'm learning to show myself a little bit of grace. Uh, and, I, and I'm applying those same mindfulness techniques to my eating. So I am much more mindful when I'm in the act of eating, slowing down, really experiencing what I'm doing. Um, does it mean that I don't let myself have things, treats? Yes, I do. But I'm mindful about that. So, you know, at the conference this weekend, they had cookies roll out and I walked up and I said, hey guys, are these cookies worth it? And one of the docs said, eh. And I was like, well, I'm not eating it. Like I'll, I'll eat a cookie if you tell me it's amazing and it's great, but I'm not going to just eat any random raggedy cookie because it's sitting there. And that's a, <laughs> that's a mind shift. That's a shift, right? Like that's a that's a total mind shift from where, from where I was. Um, and so just, 
you know, realizing that I needed to make a change. So I set smaller goals for myself that were more realistic, gave myself the grace that if I did eat a cookie one day, it wasn't, the, it didn't mean I needed to go eat five. Uh, it just meant I had the one and I'm moving on back to my plan. So it, I've been showing myself a lot more grace, smaller goals, and I've been more active than I've ever been. Um, just physically, it's just forcing myself, putting myself in positions where I have to be more active and that it, it's doing it. And it's, it's been a slow process, but I'd rather slow than to lose it all quickly. But that was part of the, that I think that was part of my grieving process was I need to do something to make this, make this right in the world. Like I got to make all this whole experience mean something. And if it means that I set myself for better success to not burden my children down the road, I'm all in. Well, Dr. Nicole, you're going to have to tell me more about this, uh, this mind shift, because <laughs> I'll eat a raggedy cookie just because it's a cookie. <laughs> right. <laughs> and cookies are like crack once I eat one. <laughs> but that's it. You can just get the one. Like, just get the one. I mean, in my house, all my daughter's snacks are upstairs with her. I literally have to climb the stairs if I want chips or an Oreo or something like that. And I nine times out of 10, I'm, too, I'm not climbing the stairs. And mm -hmm. I'll say, oh, I sure would like so-and-so. And I think, but I don't feel like climbing the stairs. So I guess I'm not going to get it. That one time out of 10 that I'm like, oh, I really want it. I'm going to climb the stairs. I'm fine. That's good. Well, I'm going to have to put the cookies on the roof. because <laughs> <laughs> I'll climb the stairs. <laughs> I might not go on the roof. <laughs> I feel like, you know, especially for us, um, I was telling folk, and we're going to get more into it on Friday. I had, uh, we, we were in Atlanta and every man that came on the stage talked about having a CPAP. One guy had a stroke. The next guy said, oh, that's nothing. I beat cancer three times. Mm. And I'm like, everybody was overweight, except for the guy that beat cancer three times because he just beat cancer. So he's, you know, and I'm saying like, that's why are we joking about this? It, it scared me. It hurt my soul, and I'm like, what can we do? Because to your point, Dr. Nicole, we got to be here to do the work that we need to do, and we need to be here not infirmed. Yes, we need to be healthy. We we do have a bad habit of doing that. I, I just saw somebody earlier today, and, and we do it in the mental health space. So patients will tell me, you know, I ask about suicide. They're like, oh, everybody's suicidal every night. And they're like, no, 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 no. We're not going to lighten this because everybody's not. I know plenty of people who've never had the thought to take their life. So we're not going to lighten this. Uh, and, and sometimes that's a coping mechanism. It's a defense mechanism. We use humor, right? It's a, we use humor to kind of not deal with the serious of, of things. We, we use humor a lot. Um, but I, I do think we, you know, our, our folks, we, we just, we just are like, oh, so-and-so just big bone. No, so-and-so not just big bone. Like we make bad decisions and we make bad decisions across the board. So we have to make better decisions across the board. The church picnic can't have the fried chicken and the, all that stuff. You can still have your greens, you can still have your stuff, but, but we got to figure out how to, we got to figure out how across the board to, to make things taste good, but still be healthy. And I, and I think medicine has a lot to do with that because we don't, I don't think in medicine, we do a good job of meeting people where they are culturally when it comes to food. And so when we start talking to people about dietary changes because, oh, you're overweight or you, and, and, and you can be healthy at any size. I want everybody to hear me say that. You can be healthy at any size you are at. It's not about that. But if your numbers are showing that you need to make a change, 
I think our, our medical system needs to have mechanisms in place to be able to show you like you enjoy this kind of food, but let me show you how to how to work it a little bit and make some tweaks to make it a little bit healthier for you. And I, I still don't think that's a place where we do well in medicine. Amen. That's so true. You know, and our bodies are built to want what we give it. So the more we give it empty calories yeah. and fat, the more that's what the body's going to ask for. Yes. If I go off the rails before I'm on spring break and, I, and I'm eating all throughout the day and not following my intermittent fasting, I wake up starving every morning. Now, when I know when I'm at home and I'm sticking to my little intermittent fasting windows and doing well, I don't get hungry till midday. On vacation, I'm ready. I wake up like, what are we eating, y'all? I'm, I'm ready. Like, I am ready. Mm-hmm. What's the biggest um, hurdle for us right now, mental health? We, you know, we got these mass shootings that are insane. Um, not sure how we work through that. Um, and now there's this uh, mental health struggle with young college students. A new survey just came out that shows that college students are struggling with mental health and it's leading them to drop out. Like there's two out of five undergrads, nearly half of the women students, female students say that they experience emotional stress while, while attending college. And it's leading to uh, dropout rates. More than 40% of currently enrolled students in undergrad mm-hmm. with undergraduate degree programs have considered dropping out mm-hmm. in the past six months. Mm-hmm. Um, most of it due to COVID um, and yeah. the pandemic, but a lot of it is emotional stress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think the older of us, the more seasoned midlife of us, we're just tired. Because now that everything's open back up, every everybody's trying to push us to go back to that pace we were before the pandemic, and we're in this struggle of, you know, like how how do I not do that? Like we're exhausted. So the you know, saying that rest is an activity, it's a verb, it's something you do, um, like kind of pushing that on people. But we're just exhausted. The college students, I, I, there is a space I work in where I work with college students, and you're right, the pandemic has you know you think about gosh, I mean, my son's a junior in college. He was in his senior year when the pandemic kicked off. So you think about freshmen and sophomores, they missed quite a bit of that. There's lots of social stuff. My, my 11th grader was in the eighth grade when the pandemic popped off. So she missed a lot of things. She did virtual for a while. I mean, there's a lot missing and I can tell as I speak to them and and see them interact, something's missing. Like they missed out on some things. Like I I, I can see that. Um, And I think we don't, we specifically us um this whole like oh you 18 you grown now figure it out like we gotta stop that like that's that's not that's not beneficial to our young people i think we see other people setting their children up for success by helping them and helping them maybe through college and helping them through grad school if we can afford to do so but just helping them more and i think we tend to have more of a well nobody helped me so they they grown they can figure it out and i think our young adults need us more now than they even did when they were younger. I Nobody prepared me for being a parent of a young adult. Everybody's always like the toddler years, the toddler years. Oh, when they get to high school, out of high school, them trying to navigate adult life is, is a whole different set of rules that nobody ever told me about. And so trying to be there for them as a parent, you know, as a guide, don't want to be too overbearing, but trying to let them figure it out. That's a tough space to be in as a parent, but our kids need us to be involved. Like they need to know they can come to us and it not seem to be some kind of failure because I think other people support their children a little bit better than we do sometimes. Dr. Nicole, let me ask you about um, younger children 
the rates of anxiety are uh, off the charts for kids as young as seven, eight, yeah. nine years old. Yeah. Um, as a parent, um, how do we draw that line? And I think as an African-American uh, mother, my mother pushed me to excellence. She knew that education, you know, was the key to success in life and to uh, launch me out of some of the, the stereotypes. So she pushed me hard to achieve. Uh, I don't know if our young people today can handle that amount of pressure. Mm -hmm. Uh, mm -hmm. And it would seem that the statistics say uh, not so. It causes that anxiety and, mm -hmm. uh, and self-loathing. So where is that line yeah. between pushing our young people to want to do their best and be their best, but not push them so hard mm -hmm. that they fall into mental illness. It starts with us. We have to do the work. I mean, I grew up in the hood. My husband grew up in rural Mississippi. He has been working literally since he was nine. Like he talks, he tells stories about chopping cotton in the summertime so he could make 30 something dollars a day to buy school clothes for him and his brothers. Like he, he's been working. So his mindset of what a childhood is like my mindset of what a childhood is like, it's very different than the childhood that my kids experience. And right. he and I have had lots of conversations about, you can't push them. Like we didn't get to be like silly little kids at, at nine. You were out here chopping cotton. And in in what, what is that? Uh, you know, you didn't get that life. So we have to think, we have to work on us and, and our thoughts of what a kid should be. Um, now, having said that, we didn't have to worry about active shooter drills at school and hearing on the news about people coming into schools and killing children. And that's not something we we had to deal with. That wasn't a concern of mine as a kid. We might've had a tornado drill or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but to know that, you know, you're having these drills and then you hear the news because they hear it. Of course they hear it. They hear that, oh, some kids got killed. They hear it that I'm eight and an eight-year-old got killed. I mean, like, that's, that's hard. There's a lot of stuff that they have to deal with that we just could not have ever imagined having to deal with. So I, to me, I think it's a lot of conversation that starts very young about what anxiety is and, and this might be when you feel it. I'm very open about my children when I'm having a moment where I'm feeling overwhelmed or I've taken on too much or I, or I made a mistake. Like I'm very open with those things because I want them to know that I'm not perfect and this is how we deal with those things. Um, but I, I think we gotta, we just gotta be talking, like talking, talking, talking to our kids. And there is no too early because as you can see, Children are being murdered at eight years old. Children mm -hmm. are having experiences at six, seven, eight that we just we just can't even imagine that they are having to deal with. And I don't think parents always understand the emotional burden that just being alive in this time and trying to grow up and not feeling safe, what that does to to a child. Wow. Um, are you still seeing you're still seeing patients, Dr. I McCoy. am. Okay. I am. All right. And, and have I you expanded? Because I know last time we talked, you, you were seeing patients in different areas. All kinds what states? of places. So, oh, my gosh. California, Georgia, Louisiana, North Carolina, New York, Oklahoma, South Carolina, Tennessee, Texas, Virginia, Wyoming. Wow. And there are several more coming um, because, you know, physician mental health is my main clinical thing. Um, and I, I am expanding, uh, that website. So I want to make sure I'm covering all those states. So, so right lots now, of stuff going on right now, people can go to drnicolepsych.com yep, to get can. more information. drnicolepsych.com. Uh, if you want to schedule, and I think having culturally responsive doctors, 
super important and you are one of the best madam in this field and uh that's because your heart is right thank you so much for coming through want to have you back let's talk Absolutely. off off mic again let's start this journey uh and uh i appreciate you and the work that you do hey this is karen hunter you can listen to the karen hunter show live every monday through friday at 3 p.m. East on Sirius XM Urban View Channel 126 or anytime on the Sirius XM app.